Today's episode of Motherfucker is brought to you by the show's supporters on Patreon. Supporters such as Stephen Cadogan and Adam Sunman. Milbuikas, Stephen August Adam. Supporters on Patreon allow for the continued production of the Motherfucker podcast. And they also enjoy a range of benefits and additional content. Regular listeners might have noticed that the sound quality of the show has improved recently, and this is no accident. It's down to the fact I was able to invest in a new microphone and other audio equipment with the support from our Patreon supporters, including a mic and a mic stand. Apparently having a good mic stand is as important as having a good mic. I didn't know. Brian told me that. And uh, who am I to contradict him? He's an excellent producer. So from all the motherfucker team, Gura Mila Mila Malkov. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash dark. The link is in the show notes. And now, the show. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, but not from Headstuff Studios this week. Welcome to Motherfucker, the quarantine sessions podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Derek O'Shea. Speaking of Irish words, there's one that I know of, one Irish word, which is an anagram of its English translation. It is T, or in Irish, te, T-A-E, in Irish, T-E-A, in English. It's an easy enough one, and it just so happens this is kind of a national obsession, and it has been for a long time. Since, since tea started arriving in, in Ireland and the UK. There's an old urban legend that when tea first arrived in Dublin, it was brewed they, that Dubliners threw away the liquid and ate the, the soaked tea leaves and wondered what all the fuss is about. But it's evolved a lot since then. And my guest today is someone who actually, whose expertise in this field led her to becoming a tea critic on a Dublin radio station. She's from Sligo. She is, all, in addition to being an Irish speaker, she is someone who's uh, studied Greek and other languages. She recently wrote about this in the Irish Times. Her name is Laura Gaynor. Fáilte motherfucker, Laura, Laura. Hello. Maybe a good place to start would be you telling us how you became a tea critic. It sounds fascinating. I don't know many other tea critics. Why don't you tell us how that happened? Well, so I was involved at Radio Delefa throughout my time at college. And for all my life, I always wanted to become a critic. Um, the only problem was that I wasn't an expert in really anything. Mm. Um, so that's kind of a basic requirement to be a critic. Um, yeah. Then I thought I also wanted to expand. And in terms of like, I, I, did, I didn't like how I was going to the same cafes all the time. I, I didn't like the way that um, I felt that a lot of independent cafes in Dublin were being overlooked or indeed closing down. So I found a way yeah. to bring it all together, um, which was... I thought I will become a tea critic. And then it was coming up with a name because every slot on Radio Nalefa, uh, they always wanted to have a name. And it couldn't just be any name. And I was really trashing it out. I just could not come up with a name. And then Angus O'Loughlin, um, he, you know, previous to this, I did a, a quiz called the Quiz Gone Trocra. And mm. Angus said, Laura, what about on Lervas Gone Trocra? And that was it. It was, uh, the name stuck and I was pretty much like on air doing my first tea review as the Larva store gone trocra the following week. It went on for over a year and a half, um, right up until I, um, 
moved to London to do, um, to do a BBC production. Um, Larisora Gontrokra. That's it's a great name. Do you want to tell me what, what that means? And let me explain to our listeners why it's a great name. Yeah, so, well, critic, critic uh, in Irish is um, Lervastor, which isn't the direct uh, translation. It basically means, um, directly translation, a clever assessment or clever assessor, basically, which I just love. And then the Gontrokra is without mercy. So mm. it's the reviewer or the critic without mercy and the review without mercy. So I mean, a lot of people they they drink a cup of tea. They know what they they know what they like. They can't always explain why. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the what criteria did you use when deciding how to review one cup of tea against another? Okay, so yeah, it's a good it's a good question because I suppose I would be taking a full picture approach. Like it's um, it's not just about the actual beverage. It's about the cup that it's served in, who's serving you. It's about the price. Is the price appropriate to the service and the product that you're getting? And also the ambiance. What is the level of noise in the cafe? What is the cafe like? What's the decor like? Where is it? What's the location like? So all of this kind of feeds into a score. Um, And so I I tried to do it in this way so that it wouldn't always be that the most expensive cafes uh, would come first. Because the funny thing is that like, often as in the more higher up uh, places m- would be subject to a greater criticism. A good example of a cafe that's sort of a budget um, cafe that would have scored very well was um, a really uh, fun and unusual cafe called Lunch of Lombard Street in Dublin too, um, mm. which was probably one of the first places I went. It's just a, uh, I don't know if you've been to, it's just a very uh, kind of quirky, old-fashioned, independent Dublin cafe. and. The service is really good. The prices, uh, it's maybe two euro for a cup of tea. And for that, you would get um, tea in a teapot with a random chocolate with it. So they would have scored highly. They would have scored eight out of ten. Then went down the street to um, Grand Canal Dock. I paid, uh, you wouldn't believe it, I paid three euros fifty for a cup of tea. I was the only person in the place. And after 20 minutes... I still hadn't kind of heard of it and it had been just left sitting on the counter stewing. They hadn't alerted me to the tea having been made. And mm-hmm. uh, to add insult to injury, it was also lion's tea. So for them, <laughs> they would have scored quite badly because in my opinion, once you get over the three euro mark in Dublin with a cup of tea, there has to be some sort of added value. It needs to have something special. It needs to either have better service um, maybe some sort of added extra, like a biscuit or whatever, and at the very, very least, it should come in a pot. Um, that place really disappointed me it, it, um, because basically they, it, they just allowed that to happen. And it was, the, you know, so they would have scored quite poorly. I think I gave them a four out of 10. So oh. you're looking at the, at the full picture. The highest score I ever gave to anywhere uh, was, in fairness, it was a very fancy place, but the Marion Hotel. Because um, oh. I felt that you did actually, you know, as in these sort of five-star hotels in Dublin, people post up photos of the receipts and they say, oh, how much am I paying for a cup of tea? But really, as in when you go to a tip-top establishment like that, you're getting um, kind of world-class service, you're getting really high-quality teacups, you're getting a f- there's some of these places, they don't even let you pour it. Um, they have staff on standby to pour the cup of tea and they give you 
the newspaper and the biscuits. So it's, it all comes into it. But um, I mostly tried to focus on uh, independent um, places. And I got around, I would say, I'd say I probably got around 50% of the independent cafes in Dublin over maybe the year and a half. So a lot of people in Ireland like what, what in England they call builder's tea. It's strong, strong tea that's intended to be drank, to be brewed directly in a mug. Mm-hmm. And other people have a very uh, specific interest in tea and hot beverages. Mm-hmm. Uh, like to do it differently. Can you tell the difference between tea that's been made in a pot? I think it does things um, slightly different when it's brewed in a teapot. To take you up on your point about the quality of the teacup, I mean, I'm here drinking tea in a mug as we speak, but um, I suppose it comes down to what it's made of. Some of the more high-quality kind of cups, even if they are mugs, they kind of hold on to the temperature a bit more. Sometimes the cups, the mugs that you see in offices, um, it's a very kind of wide cup, and it's somehow kind of it neither holds on, it kind of nearly lets all of the temperature out of the cup. So it's not a ver- it lets all of the temperature out without the cup becoming particularly warm. So you get neither the experience of kind of holding the hot cup of tea or at least of the kind of tea being insulated and having the, the tea itself being hot. But yeah. Okay. So the news at the moment is it's been fairly full. Uh, chalk block each month feels like a whole year if not every week feels like a whole year but some weeks back there was an announcement that Bewley's Bewley's Oriental Cafe as a two of this full title in in Dublin was going to be closing its doors yet again possibly with a new takeover or something else might be happening to that premises Dublin has always been a cafe city and cafes have been part of I guess Dublin's personality um, but wasn't that your impression when you moved here uh, from Sligo when you were almost an adult? Yeah, I mean, when I first moved to Dublin, I would have probably just gone in anywhere. I didn't really, I probably, I, I mean, I knew what I liked, but I didn't particularly get that into cafes. And then it was, I was representing Greece at a peace summit in Serbia and I went into Acosta and um, and it was just what really kind of took me back because I felt like I was in Dublin and I realised that some of these kind of chain cafes, they're just the same no matter mm where you go and you're not really anywhere. Yeah. And so it was not long after I came back from, from that trip to Serbia that I started the Lerabas Gone Trokra because I just kind of, I realized that we have all these kind of independent, unique, quirky, different uh, cafes in Dublin. And I realized there was so many that I hadn't seen. And it's like, I wanted a, like a reason to get around them. Mm-hmm. And then the sad thing, to be honest, is that some of the cafes that I've reviewed have like closed down since I reviewed yes. them. You know, Bewley's being one of them. Another one being um, probably, to be honest, my favourite um, coffee shop in Dublin being the, it was like a Dublin barista school uh, coffee shop on, I think it was Delirious mm-hmm. Street. And like, I used to go there the whole time. And like, it, it was not not long before the lockdown, actually, to be honest, I think it was in February. I just kind of walked up to it and I had, um, closed down basically it's a sort of I think basically it was this was something as I say um, without repeating myself that I started doing when I when I started the Laravas um, Gone Troker is I basically started to try to refuse to this sounds like really anti-establishment but I, I wanted to try and refuse <laughs> to give my business to a lot of these um, you know a lot of these big name um, yeah. coffee shops and I, I think that's something that we can all do you know it's because you know, it's like it's basically if if you have the option of going to a Starbucks or going to an independent coffee shop, and if there's not much of a difference, to go to the independent coffee shop because you can make such much 
more of a this of a difference um, going to the other one. Um, mm. I suppose that's something that we can all maybe try and do uh, post COVID. So we think of Dublin, we think of cafe culture, we think of uh, uh, sophisticated, uh, fashionably dressed people sitting around having inter- interesting conversations. <laughs> and this kind of, uh, this overlaps nicely with uh, another um, institution that that you visited when you came to, came to Dublin, which is Radio Nalifa. How did you find your way in there? What was it like? What's the What's the environment in there like? Yeah, so I mean, I started, um, I studied film and TV production in college uh, for four years and I'd heard of Radio Nalif before. I think it was an Irish teacher had mentioned to me about this community station in Dublin that the likes of Charity Violan had started at and so on. And I was basically, when I first started in college, it's like I didn't, um, I didn't really know uh, anyone, to be honest. Like, so, mm-hmm. so much so that I found it really hard to even get anywhere to live. So for the first three months when I was in college, I actually lived in this awful B&B in Dunleary five days a week. And uh, I was in this awful box room and the place was like invested by wasps. And uh, one of the things I used to do is I used to get on the 46A and I'd kind of ride it around town and I'd listen Mm -hmm. to the radio and I'd sort of dial, I'd be dialing them, I'd be listening to the dial and seeing what was on. And one of the days I'm on the 46A coming up to, I think it was uh, Dean's Grange and and I hear like Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire. And I'm like, what station plays Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire? And mm-hmm. I get to the end of it. And the link was in Irish. And I listened that it was Radio Nalifa. So then I realized that I hadn't spoken Irish since, uh, since I was in school. So it mm-hmm. had been, I think, probably, it had definitely been six months since I'd last had a conversation in Irish, which to be honest, I'm pretty certain was at my oral. And I thought, you know, I've spent such a long time trying to learn Irish at school. Why would I suddenly let it slip now? So the following day I was in a lecture and the first semester of film school is incredibly boring if you've done stuff before because they have to teach everyone the basics. So I slipped out of uh, the lecture and I uh, Google Radio Nalifa, I pick up the phone and I call it. And I got put through to Keen McCarthy, uh, who at the time was the program coordinator. And I basically just was like, I don't know, can I do something uh, with you? Can I volunteer? And he was pretty much like, yeah, you know, call around. And so, you know, I call around a few days later and I was really surprised. Like I thought, I'm, list- I'm not hearing this right because he was saying, oh yeah, and you can have a show. Mm. And I just was like, what? I've basically walked in off the street and I haven't got a clue who I am. You're offering me a radio show. Uh, what kind of radio station is this? Like, And hmm. basically, I suppose, Radio Nalifa, in fairness, it's a community radio station. They train people up to the point that they can do uh, their own radio shows. So I started doing uh, a radio show on drive time. I think it was on Tuesdays and then on Fridays. Uh, and I did that for like, you know, years and years. And I suppose... Radio Nalifa in being a community radio station, but it's, it's, I've, I mean, I've no experience with any other community radio station, so I have no reference point, but um, my kind of feeling about it is, is that the type of people who get involved, you, you know, it's this unusual mix. It's, it's quite a, a spread of society and it also maybe includes people who work in the media in a professional context. Mm. So I think there's a real sort of ambition with the stuff that goes out. But because it's um, a community station and you kind of have a lot of say over your show, you can do the sort of most strangest, kind of wildest stuff. And to a large extent, unless you're not like 
libeling anyone, you can get away with it. So, uh, for instance, the, the predecessor of the Larvus Gontrocra was the Quiz Gontrocra, which was the merciless quiz, which I started within like a week of doing it. And um, yeah, and I suppose it's only in Radian Liffa that something as kind of unusual and strange as having a resident tea critic on the breakfast show. Mm-hmm. That couldn't happen any, anywhere else. And I didn't even realize until uh, I had been in England and I'd been to other places. Uh, and I sort of mentioned, oh, yeah, back when I was a tea critic on the radio and people would sort of double take and they'd be like, what? That's like a really unusual thing. And But yes, on Radio Nalifa, it's, no, it's sort of low on the spectrum, I think, of, uh, you know, there's definitely been more kind of unusual or kind of weird and wonderful um, things on the air, airwaves than, uh, than having a tea critic. So having a tea, having a tea critic on, on the radio of a Dublin station, just, it just seems, I just think it's absolutely fantastic. Like so much commercial radio is, is choreographed right down to the few seconds before the news and the few seconds in between each ads and what, what songs they have to play. And for something, for an organization like Radio Liffa to be as free and, and spontaneous and creative, to have something as, as offbeat as a tea critic. I just absolutely love that. I love that this exists. I love that this exists in my city. Yeah, I think the word is off. The word is offbeat, but you know, it, but it's but it's great in its own way. Like, and I guess it's in, it's it's great when creativity is given that space to just do whatever it wants. Because when you actually look at maybe who's come out of Radio Nalifa, there have been a lot of kind of actual proper media people who maybe started on Radio Nalifa and are now working in the likes of. Uh, RT and the BBC and I, and I think it comes from you just need to be given that space of having like uh, having a radio show and having an outlet where you can say uh, pretty much like with no um, approval process at all I'm trying other things that I would have done on Radio Nalifa um, I mean I once did like a suit a live suitcase review on, on the Radio Nalifa breakfast show where I got like a new suitcase and I did a really forensic uh, review of the suitcase like you know, it doesn't even make remote sense. Like another time for the Leaving Cert Trap picture I did like this 20-part series where I would get sort of Gwailgor celebrities and uh, transition year students to come in and do a trap picture live on the radio in 60 seconds with a countdown clock from the medical series 24, you know. <laughs> okay. Your fellow Sligo woman, uh, Lady Gregory, uh, she was married to Lord Gregory, who was the Viceroy of Ceylon right around around the time it moved from coffee production to tea production. And so that's where we obviously get Ceylon tea from. Ceylon is nowadays called Sri Lanka. But they they travelled around a lot and one of their favourite locations was Greece. And you, like your like your fellow Sligo person, also have an interest in Greece, specifically the, the Greek language. Um. Yeah, so it was a similar thing where um, it was in my third year of college. I was I was off for the summer and I just had nothing to do. I was really, really bored. And um, <clears throat> there was this a sale. Uh, there was like this 50% off sale uh, for for learning Greek on an app called Rosetta Stone. And mm. I just sort of took out a prescription, uh, not a prescription, I took out a subscription uh, for it. And I just really sort of was spending, I think I was spending definitely between maybe 10 and 20 minutes a day on it. And what I suppose actually surprised me is I just started picking it. Um, I started picking it up. Um, since then, like I've kind of been tapping in and out of it. 
Uh, but I suppose I've gotten to a level of break that I always wanted to get to, which is where I can go to the country and um, and kind of speak with the people. But I suppose Rosetta Stone basically, um, I mean, it is a paid software, so I wouldn't take out um, I wouldn't take out a subscription for it unless you really thought that you were going to see it through to the end. And I would also call them up on their hotline because you're able to really haggle, and the the price that they display on the website is often about maybe at least twice what they'll often give it to you for. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, that's, that's a story for another day. But if you hmm. click on their stuff, they'll often follow you around with ads and the prices will just get lower and lower and lower. But it's a software that basically teaches you true flashcards, which sounds very basic, but it basically um, teaches you completely through the medium of the language that you're learning. And I suppose learning it that way, it, it did sort of teach me a few things about um, Irish and that I realized that it's not actually that hard to learn a language or it's not hard to learn a language to the point that you can sort of speak it a bit. And it, it made me realize that a lot of the ways that we, in the sort of mainstream school system, not just like with Irish, but the way that we teach languages, it's sort of for the time that you're putting in, the amount that you're getting out uh, is like is not necessarily in, in proportion. And um, so I suppose the article was kind of talking about the maybe practical uh, things that you can do with, uh, with your language learning because I was surprised with um, Greek that by doing very kind of focused types of learning that are focused on learning the really important words on speaking it in a practical sense uh, and putting yourself on the spot, putting yourself under pressure. Like if, um, you know, like be it on a sort of a Skype tutor call or else if you actually go there when you have to speak, you just, uh, you just learn um, there and then. And I think kind of the same can be said uh, for Irish. Like similarly, I suppose uh, my Irish would have improved an awful lot uh, through Radio Nalifa. And I guess when you're presenting a radio show in Irish, you just, um, you're, you're kind of under pressure and you just have to learn and you do. And that pressure can be can be very conducive to learning. It does sound like that when when you're just using it and you're using it with a purpose. The language learning process will just fit itself into that. But not everybody gets that. And like, how do you find maybe the other learn language learning facilities? I'm I'm thinking particularly of um of apps mm-hmm. like Duolingo. I think with Duolingo, if you have if you speak Irish already, especially if you speak the phenomenon of Gaelgabolia Clea, which is a sort of a street Irish that doesn't have a home that's a sort of a mix-up of um, all the other different dialects. It's very hard to use um, Geolingo, but I suppose I really like Geolingo, but I just don't like the way that it um, teaches true translation, you know, especially with a language like um, Irish that doesn't, uh, it's sort of the, the diff- there's a big difference between like English and Irish in the syntax. So that's, uh, so I found it kind of hard on Geolingo, but it might also be because the kind of type of Irish that I speak is is, is not like proper Irish. <laughs> yeah, proper Irish. Will you ever yeah. get there? <laughs> Laura, before, you, before we wrap up, I'd love to ask all our guests what their favorite Irish word is, but given you're also studying Greek, maybe you could also tell us your favorite Greek word. Um, okay, my favorite, this is sort of a random one, and it's it's a word that first actually came to my attention I mean, I knew it before, but I heard it on a kneecap song. It's the word skrista, which is the Irish oh. for like destroyed or ruined. And the reason why I like it is it's just a word that sounds like what it is. 
you know, uh, rune that doesn't sound like something that has been ruined, but Sprista, you really can kind of see and feel the idea of something that's been kind of ruined. And then Greek, yeah. um, oh, what's my favorite Greek word? Um, I'm trying to think, hold on, give me, give me a second and I'll think of one. Um, sure, cool. This is the part where you realize that I can't speak, I'm joking, I can't, I can't speak Greek. I remember in school, one of the, um, when we were studying the Odyssey, and we studied it in English now, I should point out, I wasn't in the Greek class, but there was a, there was an expression that recurred um, every now and then, many of the chapters that made some of us, you know, childish schoolboys giggle, it was rosy fingered dawn. And we thought, I always thought it was a beautiful image, uh, double entendres notwithstanding, but in Greek, it was rhododactyl. Rhododactylus means rosy fingered. And I just thought that was very beautiful. So my favorite word in in Greek, and that sometimes words in Greek can sound very close to other words, and you kind of wonder, is there a connection? So the Greek word for um, for table is trapezia, and then the Greek word for bank is trapeza. And it kind of makes me wonder, is there like a link um, between those? But then I love the Greek for um, post office, which is, um, oh God, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but it's like the hedron polio. I just think it's a class word. It just sounds like so much better than post office. It's like the hedron polio or something. I'm not pronouncing it right at all. Um, but I can, uh, when, when I've got a little bit more sleep, uh, I am able to pronounce um, the hedron I just can't believe it. But anyway, I, I can't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know, you're grand. So just um, hold on a second. Don't go anywhere just yet. There is something that all our listeners will have been expecting or waiting for from the time this um, that this episode started. Uh, it's an episode about Ireland, it's an episode about tea. Mm-hmm. What's, how, what's your stance on the Lions versus Barry situation and particularly the great struggle for Irish people abroad to find their favourite Irish brand of tea? Um, yeah, so I need to do more research into this, but I found out something which was really interesting um, when I was in Vancouver in December, which is that it was someone that I know who wanted to get Barry's tea, but she didn't want to shell out loads of money to have it shipped to Canada. And it's basically, I found out that Barry's tea is a, bra- is, um, a blend uh, that is called Orange Pico. Okay, so as in a lot of us, uh, when we think of black tea, we think of Salem and Darjeeling, whereas from what I understand, um, Barry's tea is actually a subtly different blend to maybe other types of mainstream tea. And that is why it, uh, from what I understand, uh, and as I, said, I need to do more research on it, but from what I understand, it's because it's like a different type of blend. And if you buy mm. orange Pico tea, uh, generic, whatever, it will actually taste like Barry's tea because that is the blend that Barry's tea is. Orange Pico. Fantastic. Now, you know, lads, orange, like the fruit, and Pico, P-E-K-O-E. Yeah. So, no, look it up. Look it up. I, um, um, if you look up uh, orange Pico tea, that is what Barry's tea is, basically. Excellent. Laura Gaynor, thank you, th- Laura, thank you so much for joining us. It's been, a, it's been a great old chat. Thanks for having me. So, until the next time, it's Sloan Wimeshire. That's a Sloan from me. Mind yourselves. We really hope you enjoyed today's show. Mother Folklore is brought to you by the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you're looking for another podcast fix, Headstuff have a number of other fine shows, which you can check out there on their website. Today's episode was produced by Brian. 
episode art was by Kirsten Schill. You can support the continued production of Mother Folklore by supporting us on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Darok. And there's a number of tiers available and there are some this bonus content and other benefits available to Patreon subscribers. If you wish to contact the show, you can do so at motherfolklore at headstuff.org or you can get, get us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is the Irish Four, and there's a different curator on the Motherfolklore Twitter handle every week. Until next week, slunga fall. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Trying to keep my parents from watching normal people. Yeah. <laughs>